Well, I'm sure there's more than one individual out there today who there is in some area of your life, you don't have enough. You know what I'm talking about? You don't have enough of something. For me, it's miles. I I don't have enough miles. I thought I did. You see, I'm trying to put my family, a family of six, on an airplane on Christmas Day so we can fly to Colorado and join my side of the family for a, a, a Christmas reunion this year. And as you can probably do the math, putting a family of six on a plane is pretty expensive. I mean, I can't afford that, but I knew this was coming. I've been planning and preparing for it, and I knew I could, I could get the miles built up, get those points accrued. And I knew that when we got to July, I would be there. I'd have 100,000 points. These tickets I was looking at would be 25,000 miles a ticket. I'd be able to get four free tickets, buy two tickets. I'm good to go. That was, I was good to go until Tuesday when I actually sat down to make this happen. Because apparently, in my tremendous amount of ignorance, I had failed to notice that the 25,000-mile tickets I was looking at were 25,000 miles each way. So now, all of a sudden, my four free tickets became only two free tickets, and I now had to purchase four tickets, and I didn't have enough. I didn't have enough money. I didn't have enough miles. Now I'll go ahead and relieve you of the anxiety that you're feeling about my Christmas vacation. Mom and dad came through with a little early Christmas gift and we're good to go. But you know what? I had a night or two there of being really, really disappointed. Like I said, we've been planning on this for a while. I've been working on this for a while. And I, I thought I had enough. And when it came time to make it happen, I didn't have enough. That doesn't feel good, does it? Sometimes when you don't have enough, it's embarrassing. Maybe you've been in that kind of situation. Sometimes when you don't have enough, like in my case, it's just, it's just disappointing. It's not life-changing. Life, life goes on. But there's a disappointment there. Sometimes when you don't have enough, it's serious. Sometimes not having enough really causes some issues. There's a range of emotions that comes with not having enough. None of those emotions are good. It never feels good to not have enough, not enough money, not enough time, not enough strength, not enough hope, not enough opportunity, not enough contacts, not enough strength. Where's the place in your life right now where there's not enough? Would it be discouraging to you if I told you it might be in that spot right there that God would say, good, I've got you right where I want you. Would you turn with me this morning to John chapter 6, the Gospel of John, the fourth book into the New Testament, John chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some spread out in the sanctuary there on the chairs in front of you. Look around, want you to be able to grab one and read along with us. John chapter 6. Today, we're looking at the fourth of seven signs John shows us seven signs that Jesus performed in his gospel. This is the fourth one and a very unique one. The the miracle you're about to look at is very unique in this. It is the only miracle that is recorded in all four gospels. Now think about the four gospels. Think about all the the miracles. And obviously when you read from gospel to gospel, there's a a lot of similarity. They, They cover some of the same sources. And obviously that makes sense. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're looking at one life. They're they're looking at one set of miracles. They're looking at one set of teachings. They're looking at Christ. And from that well, they draw their source to build the gospel presentation that they're writing. 
So you're going to see overlap. You're going to see similarity. But there's only one miracle actually that is recorded in all four Gospels. I think it's even more unique that John records it because John is unique from the other three. You might remember us covering this several weeks ago in that when John sat down to write his gospel, the other three gospels had been in circulation for decades, not, not a few years They'd been in circulation. Matthew, Mark, and Luke had been in circulation for decades. So as John sits down to write, he knows what the Christian community already has. He knows what the church is already drawing from. And so you will see John being quite a bit different. He draws from other parts of, of Christ's life, other parts of Christ's teaching. But he repeats this. He duplicates this as the other three already had which says there's something about what we're getting ready to look at that really left an impression. Let's look at it and see what it is. John chapter 6, our story is verse 1 to 15. I'm going to begin reading in verse 5. It says, Therefore, when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, Where will we buy bread so these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself already knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, what? 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, well, well there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. What are they for so many? Then Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, look at this phrase, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. Jesus sees a crowd, and of course with a crowd comes need. Jesus sees an individual. With an individual comes need. But that's okay. Jesus is in the need meeting business. Now Jesus does not need to ask Philip any questions. He doesn't need Andrew scurrying around in the crowd, coming up with some resources, seeing how we can make this happen. Jesus spoke and the whole universe came into existence. Jesus can certainly speak and scurry up, you know, five, six thousand happy meals for everybody. But he didn't do that. There's something more important here. Would you recognize that? You know, physical need is very real. When you're empty, when you don't have enough in a physical area, that's what you see, that's what you feel, not much else seems more important. There's a very real physical need here, but it's not the most important thing. It's a real need. We're not denying the need, it's just not the most important thing. Jesus believes there's something here for his disciples, for people to learn, something here for his people to experience that is more important than whether they get food in their stomach at that exact moment. So he turns to Philip and he asks him this question. Where do you think we can get enough for everybody to eat? Probably ask Philip because that's Philip's hometown. That's Philip's area. These are his stomping grounds. He might know where they could go and, and get this. So he asks Philip, where's enough? And you see Philip's response. Are you kidding me? I mean, Lord, wake up. Look out there. If we had 200 denarii, 200 denarii would be about eight months wages 
for the average working person. Well, what, what's eight months' wages for you? That, that, that's what Philip is. That's what it's going to take to feed all these people. It's craziness. We can't do this. We don't have enough. Now, there's two kinds of people. There's Philip, who just says we don't have enough. <laughs> then there's Andrew. Now, Andrew is going to, he's going to say, you know what? I, I can make this happen. I, I mean, I, I'm wise. I'm smart. I can figure this out. So he's out running around the crowd, you know, maybe thinking, I, you know, if I can pull everybody's food together, maybe we can then redistribute it and everybody at least get some. And after all of Andrew's great efforts, he comes up with Skippy sack lunch here. Now, I want you to notice something. He wouldn't just jump off the page at you. Notice what kind of bread it is. What kind is it? It's barley loaves. Folks, barley loaves stink. That's horrible. That's the worst bread. You don't get this at one of those fresh markets. Okay? You get this in the half-off bin. Barley bread tasted bad. Probably what's going on here is Skippy's poor. Skippy's probably from a poor family, and that's what mom sent him to the store with enough money just to get some barley loaves. That's not what you'd want to eat. It's not that good. So what is Andrew's best effort? A poor boy's sack lunch. Hey, I think we can feed 5,000 people here. I got Skippy sack lunch. Wow. Thanks, Andrew. You know, I think there's something symbolic about that, isn't it? We run around with our wisdom, our strength, our resources in light of the real need in the world, which we often ignore. In light of the real need in our lives, which we often ignore, our abilities are so pathetic. What we bring to the table at solving issues of sin, what we bring to the table of solving issues of distance from God is really, I mean, it's, this is a joke. It's pathetic. It's small. But look at what God does. Look at what Jesus is going to make happen here. Now, it says here in the passage that there's 5,000. Your translation might say 5,000 people. That's an accurate translation. Mine says 5,000 men. The word in the Greek language isn't actually men, but that is an accurate translation for this reason. In this day and age, when they were counting a group of people, they wouldn't have counted women and children. So when it says there was 5,000 that were fed that day, there's 5,000 men that were fed that day. Now, we don't know how many women and children are there, but folks, women and children are there. In other words, what was actually fed, and I think this is a very conservative estimate, what was actually fed in this moment was probably close to 10,000 people. Now, let's just try to physically visualize this, absorb it, and take it in. This room packed out. We're not packed out. We've got plenty of seats. This room packed out would be a little over 1,200 people. So if you can, in your mind's eye, imagine a room eight times this size. I mean, look how big this is. Look how many people are here. What Jesus is standing in front of, though, is a mass of people probably about eight times the size of this room packed out. And what has he got to work with? Well, we want to visualize it here. Let's keep going with this. I brought Skippy's sack lunch with me here. I've got five loaves of bread, and I've got, yes, the fish. Now, I heard that when Jesus touched fish, they didn't stink. So I can assure you, Jesus has not touched these fish, and I'm not Jesus. 
So this, but look at, I mean, folks, I, don't you need, to, doesn't it help to kind of see what we're talking about? Imagine the room packed out eight times this size. And Jesus starts with this. This isn't very much. I mean, is, is Jesus anxious? Is he concerned about the enormity of the need and the pathetic size of the resources? Not at all. Jesus looks to heaven and says, thank you, Lord. He looks at the people and says, sushi time. I'm not going to do that. Are you kidding? But look at this. Look at this. Eight times the size of this room, and it starts here. Now, I can't explain how this happened. I love it when people say, you know what? I can't, we can't explain this miracle. Okay, duh. We're not going to naturally explain what happened supernaturally. But Jesus is holding in, in two hands. These five loaves, these two fish. And somewhere he starts to hand these to his disciples. And the disciples turn and they just start to hand it to the crowd. And it just keeps going and going and going. Until when? Until everybody's had what? As much as they want. Not till everybody got a little bit. Not, not till everybody had a decent sized meal. The way this reads, if I got a portion and I was still hungry, I got more. Everybody got as much as they wanted. Do you remember Philip's concern? Lord, e even if we could do something right here, it, it, it's going to be so little. We're, we're just going to barely touch it. And that's very true. That's very symbolic. Man's best efforts, if they touch the need, are barely going to touch the need. And always, listen to this, always temporarily. But when Jesus meets a need, it is more than enough eternally, permanently. So look what happens here. Starts off in two hands. They get as much as they wanted. And then what does the text say? Now I kind of read this and say, now come on God, you're, you're kind of showing off here, aren't you? They take up 12 baskets of leftovers. Let, let's keep visualizing this. Let's get me some disciples here. Six of you. Down to, Mike, you don't, you don't make it. Chuck, go ahead and step. You, apparently, Lord doesn't need the four of y'all. Let me get six on this side. So two, three, four. Is it down to Jim? Sorry, Kenny, you didn't make it either. Um, y'all turn around and face the audience. Okay, now visualize this. A room eight times this many people. And it starts off with what's in two hands. Everybody gets as much as they want. And when it comes back, it takes 12 men with baskets to pick up all the leftovers. You guys sit down. Thank you very much for your excellent help there. Boy, these are really going to be right by 11 o'clock service. <laughs> Folks, what does this sign point? We're studying signs. Signs point to something. Signs point to more than the fact there's bread and fish and people got fed. What does this point to? It points to the fact that Jesus is more than sufficient for the masses. Jesus is more than sufficient for you. He is more than enough for every area of your life. Now we hear that and we say, well, praise the Lord. Sign me up for that God. That's what I need. I need more than enough. Well, sure we do. Sure you do. We all do. How do we get that? How do we get the abundance of Christ in our lives? Now let me tell you what I'm not going to tell you. I'm not giving you a get-rich-quick scheme. Okay, this isn't about you do these two things and, and you're going to get more than that. Matter of fact, you'll have 12 closets of leftovers. Now, you know what? This may result in you getting 12 closets of leftovers. 
that's not what this is about. There's something more important here. What is God doing? He wants to build in your life a heart. He wants to build in your life a faith that results in His glory. Folks, that's the most important thing. The most important thing in your life tomorrow is that God is honored, exalted, that through the way you live, you point people to the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ. And do you realize that quite possibly the best place that will happen is in that spot where there's not enough? In that spot where there's not enough. So how do we go into those areas where there's not enough and let God multiply? Let God's glory be seen. And here's the incredible thing. When God's glory is seen, we end up getting rewarded for it. How does that happen? Two things. That's it. Number one, we've got to confess our inability. Remember, we saw two kinds of people. Philip, right away, I can't do it. There's not enough. Then there's Andrew, Andrew, and I can do it. I can make this happen. I've got the strength. I've got the money. I've got the resources. I've got the power. But boy, is it pathetic when he's done. And you know what? A lot of people, here's the problem with confessing inability. We don't feel pathetic. I feel like I'm a pretty good person. I feel like I do all right. I'm pretty satisfied with the way things are. My friend, when you're standing before the living God, giving account for your life and your unholiness and your unrighteousness, let me tell you something. All of the best stuff about you is going to look like two stinking fish and five barley loaves that nobody wants to eat and the need is over 10,000 people. I've got to confess my inability. Now, confessing inability isn't just thinking bad of my, oh, I don't have enough. This stinks. I can't do what I want. I don't have enough of this. I don't have enough of that. That's not confessing inability. Confessing inability is falling on your knees before God and saying, God, I can't be what I know you've called me to be. I can't be the, the mate. I can't be the parent. Lord, I can't be in that, in that place of work what I know you want me to be there. Lord, I can't be holy. In and of myself, I cannot make myself holy and righteous. In, a, in and of myself, I'm never going to be ready to stand before you and give an account. We confess our inability. The second thing we do is trust Him. We trust Him. We take whatever we have and we give it to Him. The little bit of money, the little bit of strength, the little bit of patience, the little bit of opportunity, which is hard. You know, when you don't have enough, the little bit that you hold on to is everything. I, I don't want to let go of this. You know what, folks? Jesus didn't need Philip to answer any questions and he didn't need Andrew to come up with anything. You see, I'm not going to bring anything to God that enables him to do something. We just took up an offering a moment ago. We didn't take up that offering to enable God to impact this world for Christ. But you see, there's something about what God is doing in our hearts that until we let go of what we're holding on to, that work won't begin. I've got to trust him. I've got to let go. I define trust as giving God everything I've got, everything I am, and then following in his way. And then watching him multiply. Here I am, pathetic, actually dead, is what the scripture says as far as righteousness and holiness goes. But when I give that to God, he multiplies it. And guess what comes out the other side? I am a child of God, eternally forgiven of all my sin. I come with nothing to the table and I leave with the power and the riches of heaven. You think this is just about multiplying bread and fish? 
Folks, God wants to do a great multiplying work in your life. But it begins when we confess our inability and we trust Him. This is all about moving from faith in ourselves to faith in God. Have you confessed your inability? Are you trusting in Him? You know, I think a lot of us in here would say, yeah, yeah, I, I have done that. I would say yes. Yes, I've done that. But you know what? It's a process. There, there is a point in time where we first come to confess our inability. We first come to lay our faith on him. That's the point of our salvation. But, but even beyond that, it is an ongoing process. Because we have a tendency with all this great stuff God does in our lives to wander right back to sin. We, we wander back. You know what sin is? Sin is where I trust myself more than God. Sin is where I believe I'm more sufficient. I'm more able to handle this than God's power and God's wisdom is. It's a process of confessing that inability. It's a process of trusting him. And that's why this table is so important. You know, Jesus says we're to come here regularly. Why? So we remember I need to remember, I didn't do anything to make this happen. I didn't do anything to make myself righteous before God. I didn't do anything to bring into my life the power and the wealth of heaven. No, there was a broken body and there was spilled blood that made that happen. So when I, when I regularly bring this moment in my life, I regularly have the opportunity to remember it's not me. It's God. It's not my works and my efforts. It's my faith and my trust in, in His work and in His effort. In just a second, I'm going to have these deacons come and we're going to start handing these elements out. And that'll take a few moments. You need, I need those few moments. Because Paul says that as we come to this moment, we are to be very serious. This is a very serious, a very sacred, a very holy moment. Because as I remember and as I celebrate what happened to Christ's body on my behalf, we cannot be helped but be reminded of the ways I'm taking advantage of that with sin. So Paul says, as we celebrate this, man, this is a this is a time of confession I need to be confessing those places that I've walked away from the sufficiency of Christ and I've gone back out into the world with, with all my strength and all my ability to try to make things happen. So as they hand this out, this is a time for you, heart to heart, one-on-one -on -one with God. You say, one-on-one? -on -one? I'm in here with six, seven hundred people. You know what? God has the ability right now to hone in on your soul and your heart and your mind. And he hears exactly what you say. And this is a time of confession. It's a time of asking for his forgiveness, which he promises to give. And it's a time of rededicating ourselves to not seeing our inability, but celebrating his ability. A time of rededicating ourselves to not trusting in what I want to do, what I can do, what I have, but trusting in him. As we prepare to hand this out, you enter that time with God and know this. He hears you and he loves you. So talk to him openly, honestly.
after Jesus fed those thousands of people that physical bread. You need physical bread. It sustains life for a moment. But Jesus went on to teach. John went on to record in that very same chapter that Jesus is the bread from heaven. Goes on to say that Jesus is the bread of God. Goes on to say Jesus is the bread of life. Physical needs are real, but they're never enough. And they will not provide for you what you need. Only the bread of life, only the bread of heaven come down from God will give us that. It's not our ability that makes that happen. It's the love and the grace of God that makes that happen. When Paul told us, or Jesus told us to take this and eat, you know, he said his body was broken for us. I always think as you put this bread in your mouth and you begin to crunch it and it breaks, that's what happened to his body. So that God could multiply righteousness in your life over and over to the point that you can enter the very presence of God and be rewarded. His body provided that, not ours. Take this and remember. Jesus said the fruit of the vine represents his blood. His blood, his blood secured for us a contract. A contract by which God would declare us holy. A contract secured by God for you and for me. His work, not ours. We depend upon the blood of Christ. Not our own life. Not anything we can do. We depend upon him. Jesus said, take this and remember. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we will continue to remember. We will continue to go through this process of remembering our inability and celebrating your ability. Remembering that we can trust you and celebrate how you've proved that at the cross. And we will do this until you return. And we pray that until the day you return, that we continue to grow. We pray that we continue to depend upon you and that our lives look more and more and more like Jesus Christ. Oh, what a great work you do in us. May we depend on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.